Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast tackling gender bias at work. I'm Annie Rogaski. In this episode, I had such an interesting conversation with Dave Smith, who wrote the book Athena Rising. Dave and his co-author wrote this book, Two Men, about mentoring women. You'll hear a bit more about it in the conversation that Dave and I had, but I do encourage you to check it out. It's, it's one of the most interesting books I've read on mentoring, and particularly today with some of the difficult conversations and the tension that we're having around how do we navigate the Me Too environment. It's a nice way for us to see how to overcome some of the challenges and frustrations and reluctance that we might have in interacting with people who don't look like us. So I do encourage you to check it out. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Dave was a great sport in having this conversation just hours before he went uh, on stage to talk at a conference. Um, So he had a day filled with talking about men mentoring women. So I hope you enjoy this. Here's Dave. So welcome. Today I am talking with Dave Smith. Thanks for joining me today. Great to be here. It's great to have you. So Dave, you wrote the book Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women, which I have made it about halfway through and I think it's a fantastic read so far and very timely, which we'll get into a little bit. But can you tell me a little bit about yourself and um, your authorship? Yeah. So again, great to be here with you. And um, I spent the uh, first 30 years of my career as a, as a naval officer, Navy pilot. And uh, of those 30 years, the last 10 or so transitioning into the academic world as a professor at the Naval Academy uh, and specifically as a sociologist. And most of my research has been in the area of gender work and family, kind of that intersection. Uh, started my dissertation research looking at dual career couples and in particular looking at uh, the retention of women and how policies in the military and under other industries were affecting retention uh, and promotion opportunities for women. And then have uh, moved on beyond that into today uh, currently looking at gender bias and performance evaluations and mm. looking right now at some of the intersectionality aspects of that with race and gender. Uh, during my time at the Naval Academy, uh, I got to work with my colleague and co-author, Brad Johnson, on the book. And Brad's a clinical psychologist, a former Naval, Naval officer as well. And he, for the last 20, 30 years now, has been uh, doing research in the area of mentoring, mentoring relationships. And and so that's how we uh, we came together uh, to, to partner up and write uh, Athena Rising. That's great. Well, I, I'm in a lot of uh, women's groups and organizations and circles, and we talk about gender bias and mentoring and things like that all the time, but it struck me as somewhat unique that two men are writing about mentoring women. Uh, was that a difficult thing for you to do, or do you bring a different perspective than maybe women would bring to that question? Yeah. So. And it's actually one of the reasons why we came to writing the book itself was that uh, there was a, l- a lot going on uh, in particular in the workplace and talking about some of the structural aspects around policies and practices that were hindering uh, getting the stall of the, you know, the gender revolution and gender equality finished where we had stalled out kind of in the 90s into the 2000s. Um, but, you know, when Brad and I were talking about this, we 
we felt like there was more to it in the in the aspect of the kind of in the professional development of understanding that for people to feel like they fit and belong in an organization to to get the opportunities to advance and and to see promotions in a way that everybody else does i think that we know that mentoring is a large part of that and in particular we know that with men it's it's just an everyday part of who we are and what we do we don't even think about it often from a kind of the formal idea of what mentoring is but it was pretty clear to us from our experiences around gender integration with the military that that was not happening for the most part with women. And so as you look to other kind of male, traditionally male dominated industries, it's hard for women to find mentors because a lot, often we're looking for people who are like us, right? Mm-hmm. We want to, we kind of gravitate toward people who have similar experiences or kind of like us. And so it's not unusual that, that women would try to seek out other women, senior women in their organizations. And that's challenging if you're in a male-dominated organization to find enough senior women to do that. And, and that the men were not, you know, picking up where there weren't enough women to do that. And we found, we certainly found that with the military as well. We thought that in particular, this is a conversation that while women are, you know, as you mentioned, are having this conversation mm-hmm. within your own circles, that men are not having this conversation and we're not engaged in the conversation when we wrote the book. And we felt that from our perspective as two kind of two dudes, as we talk about ourselves <laughs> going out there talking to other other dudes about mentoring, that we can do this with a certain amount of credibility and certainly coming from military backgrounds and teaching at the uh, service academy, that that gives us a little bit of credibility walking in the door to talk to other men about this. And, and certainly I think men, we find, want to engage in conversations around leadership and certainly good leaders are good mentors. And right. so... We find this is a, a great safe way to enter into the conversation around gender and gender equality and inequities in the workplace that, uh, that really resonates with men. That's so interesting that this came up through the gender, gender integration in the military. I think that's a pure environment to see how things evolve when women start to, to be more involved in the military. Um, but I can see how that translates into, I was in patent litigation, which is very male-dominated, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of what you said resonated with me. A, a couple of things I wanted to follow up on that you, you talked about. One was uh, how people seek out people who are like them, and I think that that's very true. And certainly from a, a mentorship perspective, I've been mentored and I've mentored, and most of my mentor relationships have been with men because of the, the industry that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I have noticed with myself that it's easier to mentor people who I'm comfortable with, who are like me. And I've managed to find men who I feel are very similar to me. But for men who are looking to mentor women and have that same feeling, like, are are you looking at mentoring as a, a matching, a formal process as opposed to an organic I'm going to find someone who reminds me of myself and I'm going to bring him or her along in my path. That's Yeah, great question. Um, so several aspects to that. One, I think the answer that, that Brad and I would, would give is that the answer is both from a formal and an informal perspective. Um, and for two reasons. One is that the research shows that underrepresented groups, including women, um, in organizations out there today are less likely to receive good quality mentoring than, mm-hmm. than are the majority groups. So 
understanding that they're less likely to do that, you can see that a formal program would, again, kind of force that those kind of matchups to happen. Mm -hmm. And also would help in some cases to get over some of the uncomfortability in the fact that, no, this is a formal program, so we understand what the relationships are. And again, it helps people to get over some of these barriers or reluctance maybe to, to interact in different ways. But as you mentioned, I think a lot of us would go, yeah, I really appreciate kind of the informal grassroots. Um, I worked with you on a project and I really value the way you tackled something in particular. And I think that I could learn something from you, mm -hmm. right? And that we, we like to approach it in that way and people will feel more comfortable uh, because it's not as awkward. Right. And so if there's this as men and women in a company and even it doesn't matter if it's cross gender or not, it's, it's it can be kind of awkward. Uh, hey, will, will you be my mentor? Uh, right. <laughs> and it's kind of like, well, what do you mean? What do you, what's going on here? And, and so, uh, so sometimes the formal mentoring can help us overcome that. The informal, I think is one we're more comfortable with and people appreciate. But there are different ways to to come at the formal mentoring process that don't have to be as awkward and as overly structuring the program where it's now it's a job. Mm -hmm. um, the mentoring right. is just seen as just it's another thing that I have to expend time and resources on, maybe not as invested in that and getting as much out of it. Right. So for the men who might see it that way as, oh, this is another administrative task for me, how do you get them invested in mentoring women in particular if you have a again a group of employees who again you have a gender diverse group of employees that you're trying to think about this from a talent management perspective and and advance and grow and develop the most talented people in your organization again everything shows us that 50 percent of that is is women mm -hmm. right so 50 percent of the w people at the top of iq eq creativity you pick the curve are going to be women out there and so it is in, from a business perspective, it's in uh, your best interest to be doing that, to identify that talent and, and not overlook it, to see it and then to recognize it and then develop and, and promote uh, within that. So some, sometimes the business case is what, uh, what works for motivating some people. Everybody deserves the same opportunities and I think that resonates with some people as well, especially when you see that the research shows very clearly that when women are mentored by men, again, they get more promotions, they have higher salaries. It goes on and on about all the benefits of that, including things like commitment to the organization, job satisfaction, which we know leads to retention in the organization. And then I would say finally that uh, we always like to re remind men that besides the business side of this and, and this, again, helping to identify and retain talented women in your organization, there's something in it for you as a manager, as a leader, that, um, again, you are going to grow because you are going to diversify your mentoring network. And we would mm -hmm. argue that you need to diversify, you know, as you look at who you mentor and who you're mentored by, that it shouldn't be just people who look like you. Mm -hmm. And that you should begin to question that if that, that is the case. And I think that, again, from a comfortability perspective, that is something that we all kind of gravitate toward. But we have to kind of get out there and get a little bit uncomfortable, you know, mm -hmm. and get comfortable with that. But that, you know, if men, so they're diversifying their network, they're also getting access to knowledge about other people and parts of the organization that they didn't otherwise have. Mm -hmm. So again, we know as leaders and managers that that's, that's power as well. And that helps us to be better at our job. And the final one, and I'll let, let you follow up here, is that, and we love to remind guys this, that 
again, when you're in a mentoring relationship with a woman, and again, this can be whether she's your mentee or your mentor, we find that guys have enhanced interpersonal skills. So we see oh. an improvement in EQ across the board, and that often that translates back home as well. So it's a, it's a win-win-win. That's great. One of the things that I wanted to, to follow up on that you just talked about was that, the, that mentors do get value from their mentees. Are you seeing in the research that you've done or the work that you're doing with companies now that kind of uh, reverse mentoring relationships are evolving where the, the mentor may be, for example, an older male is mentoring a younger female and she might, very stereotypical of uh, the younger generation, be mm-hmm. more savvy with right. social media or things like that. Are you seeing this sort of symbiotic relationship between the mentor-mentee where there's learning on both sides? Absolutely. Some companies are actually doing some formal programs around mm-hmm. this. They call it reverse mentoring is one one name for the program. P&G um, has had this program for a few years now and seeing, I mean, some really incredible um outcomes out of it. Again, for the most part, it's it's senior men being uh, reverse mentored by by a junior woman. But mm-hmm. in other cases, it's just somebody some it doesn't look like them, some other right. underrepresented group. Mm-hmm. Again, so it's interesting to to put yourself out there as a very senior man in this case. It takes a certain amount of uh, humility for these senior people uh, to, hey, I, there's something I can learn from this junior person, and they do diversifying that network and kind of understanding how that part of the generation, the, the talent that you're recruiting, how you can change the workplace to meet people's needs to where they can be the best that they can be in their in, within their company. And then just kind of to know what's going on um, right. in lots of different areas that otherwise you kind of have these blind spots as a manager. And I think that's really important to see that. Kind of a, a, a nuanced aspect of it. it's not really reverse mentoring, but if you think about it in terms of how you were talking about, it's more of a kind of a reciprocal mentoring. And mm-hmm. so whether there's a, a large gap in, in age or experience or not, but being mentored or mentoring somebody who's different from you um, and approaching that relationship, not from the hierarchical perspective that we t- we kind of look at traditional mentoring relationships, but much more relational and reciprocal and how, as colleagues, we're working together. And so we each have something to gain. We each have something to win. And I think that certainly from a cross-gender perspective, there's a lot that we could do there in changing the culture of the workplace. Because if you think about the traditional hierarchical relationship of mentoring, men kind of gravitate toward that. Mm-hmm. It's a place that they tend to be, we tend to be very comfortable in that kind of a relationship. But underrepresented groups, and specifically women, are not as comfortable in that. And they, again, there's a, inherent power dynamic uh, that women tend to avoid that. They want to see a more relational uh, relationship in this case, you know. And so if we can approach these reciprocal uh, mentoring relationships this way, we can we can see that it's a, you know, we can each gain advantage from that. And so Brad Johnson and I have partnered with uh, Great Heart Consulting to start a reciprocal mentoring lab that'll start this summer, mm. where we're bringing mentoring teams together for a two-day intensive workshop, female and male faculty working with both sides and then together as a team. Oh, nice. And is that the first time you're doing that? This will be the first time oh. this summer, yeah. We will have to bring you back on the show and yeah, hear how that went. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Another thing you, you mentioned, and I don't know if you, you've looked at this particular research, but you mentioned that, that women get a lot of benefit from a more senior male mentor. And I'm wondering if there's any research out there about 
whether the benefits to more junior women are higher with a male mentor versus a female mentor? So um, yes and no, and, and in particular with, uh, with male mentors, the reason we might find in some cases more benefits from the mentoring relationship is, is purely from a uh, position and power and mm-hmm. stakeholder kind of, that men are more often going to be that, whereas there are just fewer women in those kinds of positions. Right. So if you're getting more uh, mid-level uh, manager mentoring or even peer mentoring, mm-hmm. again, not as much opportunity to share and access to capital and opportunities and to do some of the sponsoring components of, uh, of what we, we would say is should be included with a good mentor should be always looking for opportunities for their, for their mentee, uh, to push them forward and do these things. So, um, it's not that because they're men, they're better mentors. Mm-hmm. It's because of often their positions and where they are and within the organization to be able to have access to, to those kinds of things. And it's not that women are not better mentors. I think in many cases, women are, are the better mentors, uh, because you can, from a whole person perspective, um, I see, we see more advantages maybe with that. And that, again, one of the reasons I think that some, uh, very savvy male leaders today are looking to expand, um, their mentoring network into, into having more women who are mentoring them as well as more women that they're mentoring. Mm-hmm. Actually, I wanted to, um, give our listeners a differentiation between mentoring and sponsorship. So you sure. mentioned mentoring and you mentioned sponsorship. And I think a lot of us have had what we would traditionally call mentors. And a lot of people understand the concept of sponsorship. But for those who don't, can you kind of distinguish those two terms or where they, they might overlap? Sure. And we, we look at mentoring uh, with, with several roles. And uh, we're talking about the teaching. And so this is kind of the guiding and assisting. And we often find this with new employees or, or certainly employees who are moving up to a, maybe a different part of the organization. So there's a lot of learning, new learning that has to go on. And there's a lot of great benefits to to mentoring at those stages of your career that has a lot more of the teaching component to it. When it comes to the higher, what we would call kind of the higher levels of these relationships of helping people to achieve their their goals, ambitions, and dreams, that takes a little more, right? Because now I have to, one, understand what the goal is, what the career dream is, and then understand how I can help you to achieve that. So and that might be through opportunities, mm-hmm. um, looking at particular kinds of career paths, choices, connecting you with particular parts of a, the current organization or maybe another organization that will help you to achieve that. And so that gets, this is where this gets into kind of the sponsoring. We, we tend to focus, um, often about sponsoring purely from kind of a promotional perspective, right. but it's, it's not only about promotion. Uh, we like to think about it more as a, of, of helping to achieve a, a career dream or ambition or goal. And so there's lots of things along the way to get there. What good mentors are going to do is they're going to use their kind of their sponsoring, advocacy, access to capital and opportunities out there to, to help their mentees get there. Now, that's not to say that there isn't good sponsoring that's going on within a lot of organizations where Again, as a good mentor, and I see that you want to do something in particular that I don't necessarily have the ability to to help you get there mm-hmm. because it's just maybe outside my span, my sphere of influence, but I know other people. And this is where, again, good mentors, they open up their 
their network and the access to it, to the people and the power, and, and, and I can connect you to those people, right? And we can make that happen. And because I have this relationship with this other person, then they can, we can have some sponsoring going on. And they're going to take my word as your mentor that you're, yeah. you're good enough, you're qualified to go do these kinds of things, and you should be given the opportunity to do that. And so, as men, we do that for each other very naturally all the time. Um, the challenge with women in particular is, is we have some of these unconscious biases about, you know, is she a risky investment? Does she really have the potential to do this? Has she really proven herself? And so this is where as men, we have to begin to, what I think or say the same things for my male mentee that I would do for my, for my female mentee. That's interesting because that you see that come up a lot on the promote, the official promotion and review mm-hmm. cycles for people where women might be viewed or the same conduct might be reviewed differently, favorably for men and unfavorably for women. But what you were just talking about was really uh, maybe a monologue in your head as the sponsor of, oh, well, is she really ready for this? Whereas for the male mentee, maybe it's a, oh, this is a good stretch project for him. And checking those unconscious biases yourself without a formal process to do that. That seems pretty challenging. Um, for people to do. Yeah, it is. Higher levels of self-awareness, um, and, and certainly EQ comes into that. Building empathy with others allows us, we know, allows us to, to begin to understand some of the challenges or experiences that they have. And once we can get that self-awareness and we can have that, build that empathy, at that point, that's where we can do more good for those people. But some people come by that naturally. Uh, some some men come by it naturally. Some get it through experience, their opportunities and experiences that they have growing up and whatever career they're in. Um, and many of us probably just need more opportunities to do some of that. Mm-hmm. How we do that in particular, from whether it's from leadership development programs to we would advocate for mentoring programs as well, that there's a educational and a, and a training aspect to it that we can be, to learn how to be good mentors that certainly... I think in our organizations, we know that there are some people that you would absolutely love to be in a mentoring relationship with, and there's others, maybe not so much. Yeah. Well, you're very humble because that would have been a great place for you to plug your book because I've read probably half of your book so far, and I have to say that that it's a little bit like being a fly on the wall in a conversation among men, and I think often will be at women's women's events you're you're going to be speaking at one today and it's going to be majority women mm-hmm. and there will be a few men who will be listening in on the conversation but a lot of times men going to those women's events get get inside information almost and reading your book i felt like oh this is interesting this is how guys talk to each other when we're not around and what i like about your book is you tackle those unconscious biases and you bring them forward and you don't just say, oh, these are some of the things you might be thinking about, but you give actions to overcome them or ways to be aware of them and to make sure that you're not falling into certain traps. And so I think this is a great way for, for men to understand what some of those things are that are going on that I have to say that uh, I've heard all, virtually every type of um, bias that you're talking about in the book, I've heard in women's organizations. Mm-hmm. 
and they all lined up so far, and it seems pretty accurate to me. But I don't know that men have the same exposure to hearing about that. So I would encourage all of our male listeners to pick up the book, Athena Rising. I would also encourage our female listeners to buy the book for your male execs or your husbands or whoever, because this is information that also would enable us to have the same vocabulary as we're talking between genders. So I'm curious about the reaction to the book from your male readers. How have they received the book? So that's interesting. You know, we we wrote the book. We had that in mind from the beginning was that because we we felt like the problem, as much as it is a problem in terms of gender equality in the workplace, was really about engaging men in the conversation, that we're just not in the conversation. And we need to be for ourselves and for our companies and our customers and everybody. We need to be in the conversation. When we were writing the book, we were like, so what speaks to, what speaks to us? What speaks to men? And it was really interesting, you know, evidence speaks to men. So it's mm-hmm. two scientists, you know, <laughs> we, it's easy for us to write about the evidence and social science evidence is very clear. Um, as you were talking about with unconscious bias, just being one aspect of it that, that makes the case. But it was interesting as we were writing, we also got from a lot of our female colleagues, the, you two do realize you're two dudes here <laughs> writing about women. And we're like, yeah, we get that. And, but it was a great point in that it was really important for women's voices also to be represented in the mm-hmm. book. And so, uh, we were very fortunate to interview, uh, a lot of women at the top of their games in just about every industry out there from CEOs and CFOs and COOs, vice presidents, partners, admirals, generals, deans of colleges. Um, we interviewed all these very successful women um, who were very gracious in their time and, and their contribution to the book to share their experiences and what worked and, and what didn't work. So they could have, like they, they have an opportunity to talk through the book to a lot of men about, hey, here's what I really valued and, and here's how he did it very well. Um, and then we had the opportunity in many cases to talk to their male mentors. Oh, um, nice weaving these stories from women, very successful women, and, and of course, in most cases, very successful men, uh, about best practices. So mm-hmm. it's a very, it's very practical in nature, and, and the, and we bring, tie in, weave in the evidence together behind it to understand what these men were talking about and sharing in their own experiences how things worked, and then in many cases how they, they made mistakes along the way, and how they learned from those mistakes and, and what that meant. So, um, I think, um, to engage men in this conversation, you have to, you have to have the evidence there and you have to, it can't be the, the usual diversity training where they feel like they're walking out getting, you know, beat across the head. Um, and, and certainly not necessarily unconscious bias training either. We're, we're going to talk about it, but we're going to talk about it in terms of best practices of, of what men have done that have been very successful and then weave that into actual practical examples that they can use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Now, your book came out before the 2017 Me Too stories uh, started taking over our consciousness um, mm-hmm. in a good way. You have a lot in your book about, obviously, men mentoring women and, and what that looks like and, and what some of the challenges might be. Since the, the Me Too um, uh, stories have, have been coming out more, there have there's been backlash like the Mike Pence rule of, oh, I'm not going to be alone with a woman, so therefore I'm just going to avoid mentoring women entirely. How do you respond to that approach? Yeah, it has been a 
interesting time and moment and um, I think surprising in some ways some of the reactions from people and, and men in particular one of the ones in the conversations we're having is this again kind of isolating and backing away and I'm not going to interact with women at work and certainly not going to mentor women at work because again the perceptions discussion and we talk a lot about that in the book about managing perceptions uh, of others and but that's that's not a solution that's not a long-term solution that's going to work for the good of of the man in this case he's he's isolating himself from part of the organization and certainly part of his employees and the people he works with and his customers as well too. So while understandable some of the reaction, um, it's, it's not necessarily helpful in, in any way. And so our message back has been, no, we need to, as men, we need to double down. This is the point where we need to, in, I mean, again, very much proactively engage in the conversation. We need to have our voices in there in the Me Too movement to articulate who we are and who we aren't. And I think that's owning the space. If you don't say anything, then again, others are going to fill it with what they want uh, to say about men in particular. And I think as men, we most of us realize that uh, most of us are not predators. Um, people aren't perfect, uh, but they're not predators and they're not, most of the men are not doing this out there. And that we need to stand up and, and talk about that, about who we are. Um, it also helps us to then start engaging, again, engaging with women and having this conversation about, okay, but now I recognize that all these things have been going on, whether mm -hmm. with the assumption, again, that I didn't realize it, but in many cases, maybe they did realize it and didn't recognize it for what it was or how serious it was or that they should have been doing something. But clearly now we all understand that, I think, that as leaders in our organizations that and we need to be better allies. Um, and part of that is mentoring, but I think just being broader allies, better people with each other. Mm -hmm. And that takes more interaction. And the research yeah. backs that up too, that again, as we interact more with people who are different from us, uh, who are peers, uh, that we begin to break down the barriers. We break down the bias. We get more comfortable working together. We establish norms within the organization of behavior that is acceptable to, mm -hmm. to both. And we begin to, un we can have a conversation about that. Right now, we're at a point where it's hard to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And that is the challenge is men talk about walking around on, on eggshells. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, you need to have, you need to stop walking on eggshells and, <laughs> and have the courage to stand up and, and, and ask. If you don't understand, ask and uh, ask how people feel. And we, again, good, I think good male allies and, and allies broadly do ask. They have these conversations with the people that they work with and they don't make assumptions. And, mm -hmm. um, but the answer is not, uh, less interaction. The answer is more interaction with each other. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's, it's a difficult topic and mm. there's a lot of nuance around it. Um, certainly there's the, you know, really egregious action that everyone would agree is not appropriate. But then there's a, there's a fair amount of gray area, and I I think it's really individual and what people are comfortable mm -hmm. with. And you could take a not a complete avoidance perspective, but something between that and too much contact, and sort of walk your way closer to the line with people and understand like what what is acceptable and what isn't. But ultimately, you're right. It's conversation and talking with the people that you work with, finding a way to do that that's safe. 
and it may be a peer mentor, someone who is at your level, but a different gender, and you can reach out to that person and hear his or her experience. And I think that conversation is critical, too, to move us to a, a better organizational structure or, or um, culture. And I know you've looked at, at uh, issues around the structure of our workplace and to me, this is a time where we've, we have, um, with the Me Too movement, we have gender issues at the forefront. With millennials about to take over more than 50%, I think, of, of the workplace, we have uh, different work styles coming into play. And it seems like a perfect time for some changes to work structures, which for, for as long as we've had work, they've, it, they've been put in place by men, for men. Mm-hmm. What do you see as some of the opportunities as we move forward to create work structures that are more inclusive for everyone? I think one of the places we we ought to start, and I and we do see some movement here in the U.S., is to finally get ourselves up on par with the rest of the world when it comes to paid family leave. Mm-hmm. And and I use uh, whether it's family parental leave, but. And not maternity and not paternity leave, mm-hmm. but to have family leave and to recognize that um, we value families and that we understand the value of parenting in particular, especially in the, in the early months of, of childhood development, that it's good for the child, it's good for the parent, and it's good for the organization. Yeah. And to me, as organizations begin to understand that, um, they come on board with, uh, again, what works within their organization. Sometimes it's incremental, and that's okay. Um, but for all of us to get there, because it begins to acknowledge the changes that are going on within our society that are inherent within our workplace. That, uh, again, a workplace that has been designed, you know, for decades, if not longer, uh, for men by men is no longer a workplace of only men. Mm-hmm. Not that it ever was really anyway, yeah. but, but in today's understanding that there is more expectation that women are going to be working and there are more dual earner, dual income, uh, dual career families out there today than ever, that this is a, this is a reality that we have to face. And in order to get the most, uh, out of it for our employees, that we have to look, we have to revise and go back and take a look at our policies. And in particular paid, you know, I think paid parental leave is a, is a major first step that every, organization out there ought to be looking at in particular. And I think the the next one after that, uh, there's lots of opportunities there, but I think one in particular that I've spent a lot of time working on is is looking at career paths and career structures. And again, we tend to look at um, a particular kind of a lockstep model in a lot of organizations that doesn't necessarily work for today's workforce. And, and certainly the millennials don't necessarily look at work that way. And, and certainly it doesn't work for, for women in particular in a lot of cases who are interested in having children and having families in a particular way. Um, one of our good friends and colleagues here in, in the Bay Area, uh, Lisa Stromberg, who wrote Work, Pause, Thrive, I think is a great example of how we see the nonlinear um, ways to put together a career path and, and be successful at it and, and how women have been doing this actually for quite a while. Um, but it hasn't gotten the visibility and other women haven't seen it as much. And, and I think Leeson has done a nice job of, of recognizing that in her book and calling that out and talking about it that as women know, there are lots of women doing this. And this is, 
more the norm than it isn't um, as you think about what a career path is or, or looks like for, for different people. And I think finally the, the really important point with that is, is that while women are doing this, there are men doing it too, yeah. oh, by the way, yeah. and we don't talk about it, but it, they're doing it because it works for them too. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, because we are in dual career, dual income families, that we have to rethink the way we're, way we're looking at the integration of work and family. It, it's different today than it was 60 years ago, and, and we can't just keep trying to do it the same old way. Definitely, yeah. I like your uh, term, the nonlinear career path. Because we're definitely seeing that with the millennials, too. Yeah, they, yeah. they don't want to do one thing. Everybody mm-hmm. has these side gigs. And maybe I'm a closet millennial because I want to do side gigs, too. Like, I don't want to just yeah. do one thing. And I think it makes us more multidimensional. But it's not the traditional path. And I think it, it takes some work on the, on the part of the employer to appreciate the value of that and to figure out ways to make it work. So I agree with you. And the family leave in particular is huge. Also, men staying home, like you alluded to, men staying home with the kids and then wanting to get back into their careers. They're encountering some of the same issues that women have been encountering for a long time. So those are some great suggestions that I hope we'll, we'll think about as organizations in the future. I'd like to end every episode with a challenge to our listeners something that they can go into work tomorrow or Monday and put into practice to even the gender playing field. So is there something that you would ask our listeners to try out next time they go to work? I would ask them to first think about their their own mentoring network. And I, and I include, again, both your, your people you're being mentored by, um, as well as those who you are mentoring. And to look and see where, where are the blind spots in that? Do, does everybody in that network look like you? Um, and where could you increase the diversity of, of who you're mentoring, right? For your, and doing this again, remember this, this is good for the organization, but it's good for you as mm-hmm. a, per, as a person, as a leader. And, um, and certainly good for the, those other groups of people in your organization out there. And then once you've kind of taken stock of that, of who's in the network, then to, uh, commit to then finding other people, whether it's people you're not mentoring. Uh, again, how can I reach out? How can I find a way to reach out, whether you have a formal mentoring program in your organization or whether it's just, again, the informal, you recognize some talent and, and you reach out to that person and ask, you know, say, like to work with them. And the same thing with your mentors. Look at who you're being mentored by. Do, do yourself a favor and, and look at the, the different types of people that you're being mentored by and where could you expand that network again for yourself hopefully if not your own mentees that's great i love the self-interest aspect of it because that means people might actually do it yeah yeah (laughs) it's good for you so go go do it (laughs) well great thank you so much for the conversation it was nice talking with you thank you really enjoyed it i hope you enjoyed that conversation with dave i think What struck me the most from Dave's comments is the concept that men need to double down on being part of the Me Too conversation. I think this is so important that we find a path forward that works for both men and women and that we have conversations about what that path forward looks like. There's a lot of pain, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of frustration and hurt right now, and What I love about Dave's suggestions is that we not go into our separate corners of the ring 
and avoid each other, but that we come out, maybe not fighting, this might not be the best analogy, but, <laughs> but maybe we do, have conversations. Maybe those conversations uh, are arguments. Maybe they are collaborative, but whatever form they take, the more conversations we have about the situation we're currently in and where do we go from here and how do we make sure that it works for everyone, uh, the better. So go have those conversations and take on Dave's challenge and take a look at who you're mentoring and who you're being mentored by and see if you need to make some changes. Together, we can unravel the pink bandana. 